Welcome to Soulful Connections. I'm Amanda Solar, host and creator of the podcast and SoulfulLiving.com. This is the place people will connect you to their stories, their journeys, and how they've found meaning in their lives. Join us. Let's connect. Connection. I am here with my fellow martini lover, Michael <laughs> J. Stump, <laughs> entrepreneur, artist, and um, just extraordinary Renaissance man. Oh, so, well, thank you very much. That's, that's well. <laughs> you feel you feel all your glory. I mean, you are. I have known Michael. Oh my gosh, I have known Michael. Oh wait, show me that again. He held up one of his, oh, yes. His, a Renaissance a, figure. Yeah. A Renaissance figure. Um, because Michael uses them in his nativities, which we'll discuss. But, Michael, first of all, welcome, and thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank, thank you for having me. I met Michael in one of my early job interviews when I worked at the Chamber. Mm -hmm. And I, it was years ago, like over 30 years ago. And... I was trying to impress Michael with my knowledge and I had come from banking and I, he asked me if I was familiar with a Mac and I said, Oh my gosh, I didn't put it on my job application, but yes, I, I did the whole Mac machine because we here on the East coast cause we call ATMs Mac, mm -hmm. <laughs> but Michael really meant the computer, the Apple computer Mac. So that was awkward. <laughs> but you got the job anyway. <laughs> I got hired anyway somehow. I don't even know how. <laughs> and there was no Mac machine at the chamber. <laughs> no Mac machine. There's, I wish. Mm -hmm. So, Michael, when I met you, you were the owner of a marketing business. So can I just, like, take it back? Like, how did that happen? How did you get to own your company in Doylestown? You went from a child to your company, right? Well, actually, when I met you, I was working at the bank. At the no, bank. you know what? I didn't know you then. When I met, because I started at the chamber, I think in 91. Were you still working at the bank in 91? No, I wasn't. Yeah. Right. You are right. I left the bank. I left the Oilstown Federal Savings in 1988. Good okay. Lord. Wow. I was in diapers in 1988. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was in 1988. And, and did you do marketing when you were with the bank? Is that Was that your role? Yeah, I was executive vice president of overall operations. So I did okay. data processing. I was in charge of data processing, human resources, facilities, branch networking, security, <clears throat> the overall staff, um, I did everything operationally, including Got marketing. It. And then I left. And then for about four months, I ran two companies down in Cherry Hill for a very good friend of mine named Tom Graham. He sold contract office furnishing. And he also had an interior design firm called Interface. So I ran those two companies for about four months. 
<clears throat> for him decided um, that it really wasn't my cup of tea. And my good friend, Lynn Charles Taylor, the architect, and my wife, Shirley, convinced me to open an advertising agency. They sat me down and they said, look, you need to open an ad agency. And I thought about it seriously. So that's when I opened up Michael Something Associates and started. So that how did they, why did they say that? What was it about you that they said you need to open an agency? Well, they knew I wasn't happy in Cherry Hill commuting down there every day. They knew that I had a lot of uh, marketing expertise. Um, in previous years, I had been doing a lot of marketing for Don Whitney, as you know. We started W4 for the chamber back in, gosh, 1978, 79. So I would say- a, a magazine, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so- uh, a lot of marketing expertise, did a lot of marketing work on the side. In 1981, I considered leaving the bank when my very good friend Greg Lafette moved here from Colorado. So I was working at the bank during the day, running an agency at night. He would run it during the day. Got it. So they finally confronted me and said, look, what are you doing? Just go ahead and start the agency full time. And that's what I did. Love it. And so you're sitting right now because we're on Zoom and you're sitting in front of a gorgeous painting. Oh, yeah. So I've, I've painted for years. Even when I was at the bank, I studied with an amazing man called William Arthur Smith. Bill was, uh, I painted with him every Sunday morning for 18 years. He was the first American president of the International Association of Artists. He was huge in the art world. He lived in Pineville. And every Sunday morning, I was I was very lucky to be allowed to paint with him and a group of six or seven artists, including Mira Nakashima. And we would paint every wow. Sunday morning, still lifes, landscapes, nudes. Um, and I studied art with him. And um, he was a friend, a mentor. So I continue to paint today. I paint every Tuesday now with Dot Bun also a very good friend. And as it turns out, I found out two years ago when her father died that we are second cousins. So That's I can- really synergistic. Well, the universe conspires to inspire Amanda on so many levels. So yes, I think, and several years ago, I guess eight years ago, again, Lynn Taylor, I was helping him sell his house on State Street. And after filming his house, he, called me into his dining room and he said, I have something for you. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, I told you to get out of banking and get into marketing. I'm telling you now you need to build a studio. And this is the guy who designed the James A. Mitchell Art Museum. Wow. And he said, I have plans here for you to build a studio in your backyard. And I said, but Lynn, I didn't ask you for plans. And he said, no, but I'm telling you, you need to build a studio. And that's the building we're sitting in right now. So, so I built the studio to paint. And in fact, now this is where uh, Navidad Nativities is headquartered. This is where I paint. And if I, if I could just do this a little bit, you can kind of see a little bit of what this studio looks like. Beautiful. So this is, this is my retirement studio. This is, uh, and I, <laughs> It's, it's interesting, Amanda. I, well, I painted here. This is Navidad Central, where my business partner, AJ D'Antonio, and I create these nativities that we sell to museums and churches and private collectors. In fact, 
I can show you this. This is one that we have under construction right now that's going to a collector down in West Virginia. So, oh, wow. So I can see we're going to have to upload this to my YouTube channel as well as being <laughs> podcast so that people can see what, what beautiful things we're seeing. And, you know, it's interesting. So when I said Renaissance man, I wasn't kidding. I think anybody who's listening is going to hear that because banking, um, Navidad, nativities, which we'll get into, paintings, were you... Um, as a child, what were you like? What was your childhood like? Were you always doing art? Did you always love art? Well, it's interesting. As you grow up, you have many interests. And while I was in banking, a very good friend of mine named Ann Decker Fox, <clears throat> she recognized something in me and she was associated with some a place called the Whole Brain Institute down in Virginia. <clears throat> and she said, Mike, I want you to be tested. Uh, a guy named Ned Herman ran that. So everyone's either left brain or right brain, and some people are whole brain, which means you can do the financial analytical mm -hmm. side and you also have the artistic side. So she had me tested. And indeed, I came back as a what they call a whole brain person. And many, many people like that. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci was like that. I'm not Leonardo da Vinci. Right. But <clears throat> you're able to look at things from both sides. So that's why I was in banking and I'm still artistic. And, and yet you can handle the finances of a business. I mean, most of us, honestly, yeah, I, I lean definitely away from the whole um, logical, pragmatic, mathematical side. You know, most of us do that. Um, and were you like that as a kid? Did you notice that? I, I didn't recognize it that way, but yes, I could sit down and do spreadsheets and analytical stuff, but yet I also had the artistic side. So yeah. in the end, the the favorable side is the artistic side, but I can sit down and run a, a business as and as an as a corporate person, it was very valuable. But then as I started my own business as an entrepreneur, it became very valuable. And then also as a marketer and branding company, I could relate to a startup business as well as a multinational corporation. And it was a really valuable tool. And then as I built my staff and my own agency, I would I would hire people that had skills on both sides and built a team. We were 15 people at one point and I had an excellent staff, my business partner, Todd Parley, and all the staff that I had, they all brought strengths to the table so I could relate on different ways. Sometimes it was a blessing, sometimes it was a curse, because you see both sides, and sometimes you just wanted to be something else. So um, right. it was, um, it, it's kind of a gift, and one you get to share a lot of ways. You know, what I'm noticing, too, with you, Michael, when you talk is you talk about Lynn Taylor, the architect, oh, you dear. know, and friend, and... I've known you for years. You've been married to Shirley for how long? Uh, this this past Sunday, 51 years. 51 years. So <laughs> you have long relationships and it feels to me like you've assembled kind of a tribe of people who help you. You know, they uplift you. They recognize your, your talents. Um, what do you think are ingredients to the people that you've had in your life? You know, we all have people in our lives, some stay, some go, but you seem to have a very continuous 
group of people? So here's the secret. No, nobody accomplishes anything on their own. You talk to anybody who's successful. It's the people you surround yourself with. And I have been so extremely lucky to have not only friends, but mentors. And the list that, that I've been blessed with, and people like Lynn Taylor, Don Whitney. I would not be here today with people like Don Whitney, Bill Marshall, who was one of the first certified financial planners in the country. Um, friends like Bob Byers, Herman Silverman, th those two people in 1989 asked me to run the James A. Michener Art Museum. As I, as I get down the list and talk about other people that have been influencers in my life, that have been around for such a long time, George Michaels, Chris Shandor, I mean, these people at different levels have been friends and mentors to me. Jack Kreischer, Kreischer Miller, who stood by me, we were both all trustees at the Mercy Museum. He helped steer my business getting started. Um, I don't see Jack very often, but he was a great friend and mentor. And then along the way, some of the people Don Whitney introduced me to that, I mean, having <laughs> having lunch with Julie Eisenhower, Julie and David Eisenhower, or James Michener, um, just, just those little bits of influence. Um, as I think back to some of the people who have been there along the way, um, those mentor relationships, no one gets to be successful without those kind of relationships. But by far, people like Don Whitney were, were just, and 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 Don, the, the, the famous phrase I think for me has been, always been, Don Whitney, Don Whitney taught me how to say yes when I meant to say no. Yeah. If you gave Don a dollar, you got $10 back. Oh, I love that. The thing about Don, and by the way, just as a point, Don Whitney is somebody who, took the chamber in our area, the Chamber of Commerce from a group of 24 businessmen yes. to 2,500 members. Right. Today, you know, since he died in 1998 and chambers have changed and evolved and it's a much, much smaller group and it's a whole different group. But at the time he kind of created this huge force in the community and he was an arts impresario. He was he was probably a whole brain person, I would have to guess. Um, he was a Renaissance man. Yeah. And yeah. he was the guy always in the back of the room being sure the chamber members came first. Oh, yeah. And he, yeah. style, class, he was the guy who always put a chamber member first. And he never oh, yeah. people like nobody else I've ever seen. He, now, when he, we were in a meeting... He actually could have he could have a whole meeting with you where he never used the word I, <laughs> or me, you <laughs> and know, never, and that's rare. And you never saw a picture of Don Whitney anywhere. No, he, it was really he <clears throat> he taught me a lot through osmosis because he didn't ever sit me down and say, "Let me tell you about right. you know my philosophy," but through osmosis, he really taught me about service to live in service and right. you know that is such a lesson when you look at the people with whom you've kind of shared your life and your story what type of person draws you in what type is there a like a a thread through these many diverse people people who give freely people you can trust people who are not self-centered people who share emotionally financially 
who share their gifts. Uh, but the trust factor is critical. These people are not all about themselves. The talents they have, you, you can trust them with anything you tell them, trust them with anything. And yeah. that trust factor is intrinsic to all those people I told you about. And that's the key. What, once you lose someone's trust, it's all over. So all those people I talked about, the trust was always there. And those are all people you could call in the middle of the night and they would be there for you, even if you haven't seen them for a year or two. Yeah. So, well, speaking of people you trust, I have to ask you, I don't think I know this. How did you meet your wife, Shirley? <laughs> <laughs> over, <laughs> over half a century ago, Michael. <laughs> On a bus. You're kidding me. Her Shirley's sister, Jeanette, was the most loving person. And there was a USO in Albany, Georgia. <clears throat> in Albany, Georgia, there was a Navy base and a Marine Corps supply center. Jeanette embraced every guy or woman who walked through the, the doors of that USO. Shirley had been working in California. She was a, an executive secretary for Union Carbide. And one day said, after seven years, I want to go home to Georgia. She came home and the USO in Georgia, in Albany, was doing a bus tour over to St. Augustine for something called Pal Day, where the whole town opens up for all the military. Everything. And you were there. in the military, you should add, right? I was in the Navy, yes. Yeah. So I was, I had signed up for the bus tour over to St. Augustine. Shirley had just returned to Albany and was helping her sister. And I sat next to her on a bus. That's amazing. And from there, um, we started dating. I, she was the cutest thing in the world. She was a Georgia peach. I dated her for about two or three months. And finally, one day I said, but how, how old are you? And I realized, I found out then, she was eight years older than me. I couldn't believe it. And yeah. then um, after dating for many months, I was deployed to the Mediterranean on an aircraft carrier for a year. And the relationship still went on. And um, I was discharged from the Navy, came up here, and I was intending to go back to Florida <clears throat> to the Ringling School of Art to study art. Uh -huh. And then he was going to meet me down there. And I was bored to death when I got home, so I took a job as a bank teller. And she, she said, can I come up? I said, sure, come up. So I never made it to the Ringling School of Art. I took a jo job as a bank teller. And nine years later, I was executive vice president of the bank. <clears throat> wow. Isn't, I mean, life is really interesting when you think about you sitting next to her on the bus and, you know, what happened from there. You no, know the, what I mean? The, the issue is you have to be open to the opportunities that, that show up. And my good friend, Tom Hevel said, <clears throat> You know, opportunities are presented to everyone. You have to be smart enough to pick them up. I never wanted a career in banking. Every every test that I ever taken in high school said, don't go into business. But I worked for a great guy named Ron Gurner, who was executive vice president of the bank, and opportunities kept showing up. And I thought, well, I like this. I like doing what I'm doing. I opened their first branch office in Cross Keys. I liked working with people. Uh, I was I got involved in community organizations, including the chamber, met Don Whitney. So I stayed with it. Um, I was at the bank for almost 19 years. And I realized I didn't want 
to be a career. So I left the bank. There was an opportunity to leave. They wanted me to be bank president. I didn't want to do that. So the opportunity came up to leave and uh, I left. But opportunities are presented to everybody. And like Tom Hebel said, you have to learn to pick up the ones that you want. And I did. So the same way when uh, the opportunity to start the ad agency came up, I started and I didn't know how I was going to replace my salary from the bank, but you started small and grew it. <clears throat> and that's. So I remember when I worked at the chamber many years ago, I do remember you creating the nativities that you now have created and you now have a business called Navidad. How did that happen? So I'm at the bank and our family nativity bit the dust. That was 1980. Jennifer was <clears throat> six or seven years old. So I said to her as a child, let's, let's you and dad build a new nativity. <clears throat> so we took the figures from Woolworths that I had and we bought some balsa wood and we built a little nativity. <clears throat> Excuse me. So at the same time, I used to go out and get some rocks and build little nativities on the rocks and put them on the teller counter at the bank and sold them for $35 each. And in fact, my very good friend, Sue Zoglio, who was my mentor and friend, became my life coach. She still has one. So I would put them on the teller counter at the bank and sell them. It was fun to do. She would help me with them, uh, Jennifer would. So it became kind of a business and I would have one of my own and people would come for parties and go, well, that's really great. I mean, would you make one for me? And so then I would sell them for a couple hundred dollars. And then over the years, it kind of grew. And it wasn't until the late 90s when I had my ad business that I took it seriously and I built six big ones and had them professionally photographed by Rosemary Carroll, who you know. And I sent them out to the national magazines and said, you want to run a story on these? And Country Living Magazine said, yes, we want to run a story on you. Uh, three other national magazines said the same thing. So they ran the story and I got 1,200 phone calls. Wow. And from, from that, Fontanini, the world's largest religious goods manufacturer, contacted me, the senior vice president of design and said, we want you to design for us. We'll put you under contract and we'll pay you royalties. So I designed one piece for them, was sold in 5,000 stores worldwide and it sold out as a limited edition piece. At the same time, I was contacted by a representative of the Vatican in New York. They said, we'd like you to design for us. I kind of turned that down because I was under contract with Fontanini. And then I think back in 2008, the people from Martha Stewart show called and they said, Martha wants you to come to New York and be on the show. And I said, look, I'm running an ad agency. If I come on your show, the phones will be off the hook. I'm not prepared to do that. The woman said, you're turning down Martha Stewart. And I said, well, I turned down the Pope, kind of. <laughs> so long story short, about eight years ago, knowing I was selling my ad agency. I had to chat with the guy upstairs and I said, if you want me to do this, I'm gonna need some help. He didn't send me you, he didn't send me Shirley, he didn't send me Frank, Joe, or Harry. He sent me a guy named AJ D'Antonio, who's a former Hollywood producer. 
who has a collection of 500 nativities. And he since has become my business partner. He's a maniac. He has OCD, obsessive Christmas disorder. Yeah. We work together. <laughs> we work together every week. And we've grown this business. Our biggest client is Trinity Church Wall Street in New York, the largest private landowner in New York. They're a $6 billion corporation. We do custom work. We've, we did custom work for Bob and Joyce Buyers. We do, we sell all over the country and we work directly with studios in uh, Italy, Germany, Spain. We bring in beautiful figures, do custom settings. And I haven't stopped since I left the ad agency. We're just, it's out of control. Right. So you left the ad agency, you went into Navidad full time, painting. Um, what you don't settle down, you don't seem to take, you know, <laughs> I don't think you believe in retirement or something. I'm not sure. What is that about? What well, the only thing I did was at one point I was on 12 nonprofit boards. Um, the only nonprofit board I, I remain on at this point is Bucks Beautiful. And that's part of my commitment to Bob and Joyce Spires and Jack and Carol McCann. And that's now 32 years. <clears throat> the spring fling, I think, is tomorrow night. Uh, Bucks Beautiful has done so much good work, and it's a wonderful board. But I did withdraw from all the other nonprofit work. When I retired, a lot of nonprofits came and said, well, now that you're retired, would you serve on our board? And I'll be 76 this year. Shirley will be 84. <clears throat> it's time to really kind of focus on some of the other passions that I have. As long as Shirley and I can travel, we like to do that. And of course, there's the painting and the art. And I, I love Doc Bunn and I love working with that group of very talented artists. So no, I never really did slow down. And I, I still do consulting for, for businesses and some other people that need my help or want my help. So no, as long as you have a passion in life and you're able to do it, why not do it? And I have a lot of really good friends. What is the role of travel in your life? Because that is another, I think, constant. Well, your daughter is a flight attendant. 26 years. I, for how long? 26. 26 years. Oh, my Lord. And you, um, I mean, you've always traveled, though, I feel. Is that right? Tell yeah, me about why that's important to you. I think it's important for anybody to travel, even if you can't go international. <clears throat> travel broadens your horizons. You know this, you've traveled. <clears throat> the cultural experiences, the food, it's not about going to visit the Coliseum. <clears throat> it's about interacting with people of different cultures. It broadens your horizons. <clears throat> you get to see how other people live but it helps you to understand the differences of people, how they work, how they live. And it gets you out of your own little world. When people say, oh, I've never left my zip code or I've never left Pennsylvania, I feel sad for them. <clears throat> it's really important to understand the whole rest of the world. And even if you can't travel, watch Rick Steves, watch National Geographic. Understand there's a much bigger world out there that we're all part of this whole this whole global community, especially now with the internet. So travel is really important. There's nothing like 
But when we travel to foreign countries, we don't go to the big tourist destinations. We, we might, if it's the first time there, we find side streets. We find mm -hmm. locals to talk to. Having yeah. a cup of coffee or a long lunch somewhere and just savoring where you are and understanding how other people live really does broaden your horizons and keeping it simple. We don't spend a lot of money when we travel. We really don't. But it's just that experience you bring back and then you share with other people not to say oh look what i did um but travel is really important and i i love it when students go and spend a month or three months you know like gracie did it right yes she did she spent a year in england yep and you didn't <laughs> i did not i live vicariously through my children michael <laughs> <laughs> a lot of parents in the same boat. I did go to England, but I did not spend a year there. <laughs> right. And she's, and did you see a difference in her when she came back? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the immersion into another place, I think, is important for so many reasons. I, I so wholeheartedly agree with you. And you know, it's interesting. I just interviewed somebody for the podcast who has her own podcast called The Beach Speaks and her whole life. Uh, she's very devoted to you know the ocean and the beach. And I love a good ocean, I, I just have to say. And I was thinking when I talked to her, why? Like, what is that? Is it the beauty of it? Is it the, what is it? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, we're all drawn to water. It's why beach properties are so expensive. It's why mountain lake properties are so expensive. I will tell you that when Shirley went to New Zealand and Australia, oh, 10, 12 years ago with Joyce Siegel, who used to own country travel, Joyce Siegel was gross gourmet foods. She called me one morning and she said, I'm home. I said, what do you mean you're home? You're supposed to be gone three weeks. It's only the second week. She said, Mike, I'm in New Zealand. Um, and I'm on this lake and I feel like I'm home. Oh, it, for wow. me, it was the same way when we were on the Nile River. I heard a voice say, Michael, I give you my Egypt. We were cruising down the Nile. I felt like I was home. So those places resonate and water does that for everybody. So don't be surprised if at some point you're somewhere, and I know you've spent time down in Puerto Rico, mm -hmm. where all of a sudden you get this feeling like I've been here before. Yes. Whether, you not, whether or not you believe in past lives or any of that, but we are this accumulation of experiences and genes. And mm -hmm. it, it's almost like if you're, I know your parents are still with you, but my parents have passed. And I've said to my brother, we are still them. We are the genetic yeah. component of life experiences. And yeah. it's not to say that it's not just our parents, but our grandparents and my great grandparents were from Italy and I, I just have that feeling, you know, when there's places where I've, we've been to Italy several times where I just get that feeling of, I've been here. Yes, you, know? you feel but that connection. You know, even when Victor went to Puerto Rico for the first time, he didn't go, his parents are from Puerto Rico, um, but he grew up in North Philly and he had, didn't go there until he was an adult. And when he went there, he also even understood his parents more. He said, oh, oh, I get it. You know, so, so as you travel through life and you travel through jobs, you learn to trust your instinct and your gut, mm -hmm. decision making, dealing with people, walking into a room for a cocktail party. Why do you gravitate towards some people? 
when something goes off in your head and you're saying something's wrong here, you learn to trust your gut. All of a sudden you become friends with somebody, you go, I, I, I don't get this. Why is that? Yes. Uh, my friend, my dear friend, Toby Hoffman, who worked for Lynn Taylor. When I met Toby, he had an Afro out to here. <laughs> He'd gone to Parsons. I don't know why he became my friend, but he did. Yes. And, and when I was executive vice president at Doylestown Federal in the suit and the tie and the whole thing, and Toby walks in with his Birkenstocks and his Afro out to here. <laughs> and my boss looks at me and goes, who the hell is that? And he said, he's one, I said, he's one of my best friends. And yeah. I didn't know why, but I just embraced it and trusted. So <laughs> you learn to trust your gut. Yeah, that's very powerful. There's mm -hmm. something beyond what we can comprehend because I've had that. I've had that thing where you meet somebody and you're like, I know you. I like you. And you just immediately click. You know? Yeah. You, you and your role is <clears throat> at the chamber embrace everyone. I've seen yes. you <clears throat> for 30 years working committee people, new members. You're attentive to everybody. You have an amazing gift with people. I've oh, thank you. You, Sally, everybody at the chamber did that, embraced people. Thank and you. And made that, that all work. <coughs> Excuse me. I've got a problem. Well, you know, Michael, I was thinking, you know, as, as you were talking too about the longevity of your relationship with Shirley and then your <laughs> ups and downs, your career changes, you know, I know um, Shirley sometimes has she experienced health challenges. Um, you've had things go great. You've had things be more challenging. <laughs> what is your secret for coping with adversity? Because it doesn't matter who you are. The one thing you can be certain of is that adversity does crop up. Do you have a gratitude list? Mm. I mean, I'm sporadic, but. Gratitude list. So you can focus on the negative stuff. It's a Wayne Dyer approach. And, oh, decades. We've listened to Wayne Dyer, Mike Wickett, Brian Tracy, um, Tony Robbins. If, you're, if you've got input coming in, it's all good influence. I think one of the most powerful books I've ever read was The Power of Intention by uh, Wayne Dyer. And I've given that book to so many people. But a gratitude list helps to change the paradigm of the focus to, oh, look, these are all the things I have to be grateful for. And it could be the sun's out or Jennifer's healthy. Um, she's been working at 35,000 feet for 26 years now. And she's healthy and it could be little things. Even if you get up first thing in the morning and write down three things you're grateful for. But that gratitude list changes the paradigm of even though you know everything that's wrong, oh, my back's killing me or, oh, I have to do this today. <laughs> the gratitude list changes the paradigm in your life about what you're grateful for as opposed to what's wrong. And today what's wrong all you need to do is turn on the TV and the news tells you what's wrong. Who got yeah. shot? Who's hurting? Now, we just got back from two weeks in Scottsdale. We're part of the Marriott Timeshare world. I didn't, the news, the TV was not on for two weeks. Did I survive? Yes. So the, 
the power of the news, even though there are positive stories and human interest stories, is basically <clears throat> based on the negativity of what's going on. And let's not even get into politics about who's right about who's wrong. Every politician says, I'm going to make things better. <clears throat> but the adversity part, health challenges, I will tell you, <laughs> in the last five years, we've fired six doctors who, while they might be brilliant, weren't doing their job and paying attention. And we replaced them with amazing doctors who oh. have probably saved Shirley's life and really helped me substantially. Not to say they were bad, but we found a better alternative to help make things better. So you, we all have choices. So make the choices that make things better. Yeah. Rather than and dealing with people that are not good influences in your life, and I hate that word toxic, but to put yourself in a position where things are better, and I've seen you do it, to say, I can be negative, and deal with crap or change the paradigm, keep the outlook higher and move on with life. Yeah. So that's part of that gratitude list. And, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to focus on the negativity. Yes. Let's go. Let's move forward. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's so true. I mean, I do believe that what you focus <laughs> on grows. So if yeah. you want to focus on, you know, you're just kind of watering and lighting up that that negative experience. So, Michael, going forward, like in your life, do you have goals? Do you have um, inspiration? What are, what are you kind of seeking as you move forward? Getting out of bed is a really good goal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, I remember the grandparents actually stayed in bed every day. I don't know if you have watched that movie in a while. And I always thought, interesting, interesting choice. <laughs> Somebody once said, rolling out of bed isn't the problem. It's getting up off the floor that's the issue. There you go. <laughs> um, for me, I'm extremely lucky that Shirley at 83 and three quarters is still able to... Uh, I want to continue to safely travel with her as long as we can. And we do safely travel. There's low impact travel. Um, the, the goal is I still want to grow this nativity business because of the message it delivers. That celebration of life at Christmas of the birth of the Savior. So it's that's the goal. That's the goal. I love and adore AJ and working with him. He's my energizer bunny. He's insane and he knows it. He is so talented. He is a joy to work with. He's creative. And when you think about a guy that was doing Hollywood production, the last thing he did before he left Hollywood was the Oscar opening with Billy Crystal, Morgan Freeman. Oh, how cool. So he's creative. He's dynamic. He's energized. He's a young me in some ways. He's Italian. He's nuts. And I love it. Um, and he helps me in other ways also with stuff around here. But the, the goal is to, to stay healthy, to stay dynamic, to keep doing creative things, to keep on painting, to take good care of Shirley, and let her take good care of me, to engage friends, to be supportive of them as we all age, to, to meet new people, to help people grow. I, I have to be careful because I'm a rescuer, Amanda. Yeah. 
So as people- Don't I know it, Michael, don't I know it. <laughs> I love helping people and I love seeing them grow. So it's really hard for me when I see somebody hurting not to dive in. It's what made my agency successful because if I saw that they could, a business could do something a little bit better or differently, I, I would suggest, and not for the sake of having business, but I love seeing people succeed. I mean, it, Bucks Country Gardens was a great example when I helped Tom grow that business or Doylestown Hospital or Penn Color. Um, I loved working with Penn Color and, and the team over there and Kevin Putnam. But whether it was a small business or big, I I loved getting, getting them going. Chestnut Hill College was one of my biggest clients watching them grow. Um, so I loved growing things and seeing them succeed. If the relationship worked, it was awesome. If it didn't work, I would say to the client, look, this isn't working. There's no trust. If you're not gonna trust me and my team, let, let me refer you to another agency where maybe you will like them better. You know, one of the, one of the greatest stories coming back from, from Scottsdale last week was, I got on the United flight, I'm two steps on the plane and somebody said, well, hello, Michael Stump, great to see you. It was Beth Beans. Oh my gosh, and you I are knew he was in Scottsdale because she picked up one of my Instagram posts. I was at her wedding when she married Chris at the Four Seasons in Philadelphia, what, 27, 30 years ago. We're still yeah. friends. I did marketing for the Beans organization. Fred asked me to come work for him and take over his ad agency a hundred years ago. We're still friends. She has succeeded to all kinds of levels. When we got the baggage claim, it was hug, hug, kiss, kiss. I like to think that I was a little bit a part of their success, but we're still friends. Yeah. And you've seen their family grow. In this town, I drive around and look at all the businesses I helped succeed. I love being here. I love being part of your life. <clears throat> so, so the goal is to still be part of all of this as long as I possibly can and still contribute, not to sit on boards, but to go where I can be helpful without jumping in the way I used to. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider giving it a great rating and following all the things you do when you like a podcast. Thank you to William Aronson for writing, producing, recording the Soulful Connections theme song. And once again, thank you for listening. I hope you keep tuning in.